just like every other podcast welcome back to the drunk turkey show i'm daniel alongside with me is big blue Jaime couldn't make it out today he's not feeling so well so it'll be just us two big blue how are you doing my man doing good man doing good you know i'm still uh in the food coma from yesterday you know that all that turkey and ham and tamales and all that food man i'm in a food coma I'm still sleepy as heck tamales man that's for that's for christmas my man what are you doing uh, you're living dangerously out here man it was a buffet style thanksgiving dinner you know a couple of different choices a couple of different choices yeah um me and the uh i went over to when me and the wife went over to the uh, my in-laws her parents and um we did the whole turkey and the whole nine yards i ended up also frying a turkey you guys haven't tried frying a turkey uh, you guys need to try it out. I, I love it. I love it. Um, Blue, have you ever tried that fried turkey? That's what we had yesterday, too. Really? Turkey. Yeah. How, how did you like it? What did you think? Is, is Was this your first time? No, I've had probably a fried turkey like five times. Oh, I man. honestly, it, it is juicier, but like I, I, I tend to inject my turkeys mm-hmm. and I cook them in the oven and I get a nice crisp um you know roast on it so i I think i like oven more really yeah i mean it was good turkey it was good turkey but you know i I use different seasonings than other people's you use different seasoning well what do you use let's uh you know give a a a turkey uh tip from the turkeys (laughs) well i like I like to use the um, HEB sells this orange pepper. Oh, like dude, a, I love that stuff. The orange pepper seasoning. So I use orange pepper and I mix it with orange juice and then I inject it in the inside. And then I baste it all the time while it's cooking. And then I also, um, you know, take it off, get a nice brown, you know, crisp skin on, on it. And it's good. Oh, yeah. Did you, what, what did you have to drink? Did you drink anything with it? Uh, last night, yeah. Last night I had, let's see, it's kind of I had a regular Modelo, Modelo with lime, and then I had a Stella Rose wine, and then mm. I tried a new uh, cranberry Moscato, and then, I, and then I had another Shiner Bach, and then I had another shot, no, half a glass, probably. Uh, rye johnny walker the, the green yeah. label mm-hmm. so yeah man that was, it was a good night I, I had a few drinks i wasn't driving so <laughs> i got to enjoy myself there you go my man I, I, how did you feel this morning you feel all right 100 percent, man 100 it wasn't it was moderated you know so, <laughs> that didn't sound moderated because <laughs> you know i had a few beers during the the, the cowboy game and then we ate like right after the game, like the fourth quarter, we ate. And then we had to go drop somebody off and come back. And then I ate a second plate. And that's when I had a couple more drinks. And then it's during the 49ers game. Oh, yeah. So you remember everything then? Yeah. You didn't black out. No, that wasn't. That, that's not enough to make me black out. Who, who scored the first touchdown in the 49ers game? Uh, I don't know the 49ers did, but I don't remember. That part I don't remember. I was, I, we went to go drop somebody off when the game started. 
we got back at like the third quarter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Come up with the excuses. You didn't have to leave anywhere. Now you're leaving. It's your story is crumbling, Big Blue. Canadian mm-hmm. True Crime Buff comes in with five gifted Drunk Turkey Show memberships. Thank you so much. We appreciate you for everything that you do. You're one of our awesome mods and subscribers and members. We appreciate you, uh, Canadian True Crime Buff. And so. Uh, I, like, I like that one. Yeah. I, I can be. I can be. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll drink bottom shelf, but, you know. Hopefully it's a big show. Yeah, yeah, he can, and he's old fashioned too. You know, you spend a dollar on him, and he's ready to go for the whole night. So let's <laughs> let's talk about um, today's topic. So what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be going through. Well, maybe not necessarily going through. I wanted to pull out some comments and posts uh, on some of the Idaho uh, murder forums and Facebook pages and things like that. And in particular, the Idaho murderers, uh, Facebook group, they have about 61.8 thousand members and I'm not going to pull up anybody's face or names or any of those things. We're, that's not what we're here to do. We just want to basically look at the comments that are coming through and, and answer the questions. You know what I mean? Big blue. So this one, uh, there's one comment here. It says people who are putting so much stock in a phone pings, never bring up the ping on November 14th when the police said it wasn't even in Moscow, despite pinging in Moscow. Uh, so what does that tell you about those pings? When you can ping off a tower in a town that you're not even in. Interestingly, they only mention 12 cherry pick pings prior to 11:13. No videotape, just like they only mention a ping with regard to that morning. No car on video anywhere in the area. So, Blue, what what is your response to that? I mean, that they can ping in another town from the town he's in. Maybe. I mean, it, 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 it does happen because I noticed, like, when I go visit my parents, you know, it's a border town. And then if I go to my aunt's house, which is still in the United States, I get mm-hmm. a roaming, you know, roaming that I'm in Mexico. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not in Mexico. I'm in the United States, though. It's maybe five, ten miles from the border. But it starts picking up, you know, the Mexican towers. It starts telling me I'm trying to roam. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, just because you, well, first and foremost, does this say that he pinged in Moscow? Let's read this. It says investigators found that the 8458 phone did connect to a cell phone tower that provides service to Moscow. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is connected to a cell phone tower. Not that it pinged in Moscow. Am I, am I, am I understanding that right? It says phone did not or did phone did connect to a cell phone tower that provides service to the Moscow service to Moscow on November 14th. But investigators do not believe the 8458 phone was in Moscow on that date. And the phone has not connected to any towers that provide service to Moscow since that date. Yeah. So, and, and I was being a little bit sarcastic. I apologize. I already knew the answer to this question. Um, yeah, the phone connected to a tower, not that he pinged in Moscow. There's a, there's a little bit of a difference there. So if we were to look at the map... And I wish I had one of those cell phone towers um, maps 
we had on Thought Right podcast, and um, Brendan, his his specialty was, you know, cell phone towers and things like that. And he brought up a map of the towers there, and there was a lot of towers that you know serviced Moscow that also serviced a larger area south of Moscow. So what does that tell us? It tells us that if he's not in Moscow, right, but he's connected to a tower, then he's probably just south of that location, which is where they suspected him, you know, um, or on the, what was it, the day before that, he went out and um, turned his phone off in Johnson, um, Washington, or, or somewhere around that area, right? And then... <clears throat> And the PCA, it says that his phone was off uh, again in the area where his phone was off the last time. Well, that's about this area right here. Yeah, does that make sense to you, Blue? Yeah, that makes sense. So do you think that maybe perhaps... Um, so when you when you hear that it's, it's connected to a tower, not necessarily... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not necessarily in moscow right you get what i'm saying yeah uh, so what, what what do you think do you think that's accurate what do, what do you think like like is there what, what do you got i think uh the mountain range and stuff like that to connect to these towers is going to bounce off a few different ones depending where you're at like driving ones that's true so, i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that up um you know, there's there's a couple of different types of locations, right? You have your traditional pinging locations, and then you have the GPS. Bless you, my buddy. <laughs> then you got the GPS locations from your phone. Now, thank you. When did they write this PCA up, Big Blue? Before the restaurant. Right, before they arrested him. So that would also be before the warrants for his GPS locations. Is that correct? I'd say, yeah. They probably didn't have all the information. Right, but they probably do now. So what, what, what this means is just because the probable cause affidavit doesn't say that they have GPS locations, we know and we've seen uh, several amount of warrants for Apple and for Brian Koberger's phone. And then we also saw... You know, that's Stativa or whatever it was called, that running app that he was a part of oh, that yeah. took his cell phone locations. You know, so when we go to court, um, don't be surprised if that comes up and they have his GPS locations on all 12 of those incidences, because a part of, you know, from what I did, my little research here, part of the triangulation or the historical location data is the GPS data. It's also saved at the same time. Strava. There you go. Thank you, Angel D. I appreciate it. So also, Blue, what do you think about the fact that he stopped going to Moscow November 14th? You know, the defense is going to try to say that, you know, him driving around late at night at all hours of the night through this random pattern is a pattern of him going out every other night, driving with his phone off, whatever the case may be. 
but then it stops November 14th. I mean, he's still there till December 13th, so he was there for an entire month. Yeah. But after the murders, his pattern of traveling has stopped. Do you think that's going to be important? And how do you think that the uh, uh, that evidence is going to be displayed or, or taken by the jury? You know, it's, it's going to be pretty suspicious if I was a jury. I'd be like, was that because he had nobody else to stalk? You know, they're not alive. He can't go by there. Uh, there is some people that, you know, were driving and maybe reminisce the night of that, uh, what they did. But he's smarter than that. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he knows that there's, you know, a police investiga investigation going on. And he saw the response the next day. So supposedly he drove by the next day, right? I mean, yeah. at least by the, by the cell phone. Um, pings or track so after that I, I wouldn't go back there if i was seeing that there was an investigation and all these cop cars out there they probably want to let things die down so i wonder how things would have manifested if say they waited more to get more evidence to arrest them if he would have gone back and if he would have been visiting the area that, that but they arrested him before he can do that well, he went back before the crime was reported, right? You yeah. know, he was home. He was probably, you know, just searching Moscow News or Idaho News, things like that. Nothing, nothing that would have alerted him as putting like, you know, four University of Student Idaho murdered or four people found dead by knife wounds in, in, in house. You know, none of that stuff's coming up. So he yeah. can't, you know, I mean, he can't search those things because if that comes up that he searched it, uh, they got him. So he has to drive back out there to see what's up because he knows and it's a big risk for him to do it because he knows that there if it was discovered and it just hasn't hit the news yet, that law enforcement is going to be out there jotting down license plates of every single vehicle that passed by you know, for days. So it's a huge risk for him to go out there because if they're if they're jotting down and they're putting this in a computer database, uh, you know, the first one that passes by, let's just, let's just say the uh, license plate numbers, Tomboy, Adam, 642, boom, put it in there, put it in the database. And as soon as they put it in the database, all the information populates. So then, you know, once you find out that you have a possible white Elantra in the area, you can put it into, you can filter that database and find all the Elantras that pass by pretty quickly. And I'm sure they did that. I'm sure they put those license plate locators uh, in, in certain areas. And he, he knows that that's going to happen. So if he goes back there, that's pretty risky. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he doesn't go anymore once the crime has been committed. No, I mean, I, I, I get that. I, I did mistakenly say he went after the crime was committed, but after it wasn't reported. But yeah. yeah, that's right. He went before. You know, um, so I would say the other thing is if I was a jury and I heard that, I'd be like, okay, that's pretty suspicious. And then that afternoon, I'm pretty sure it was all over both towns. 
just yeah. not just on the news, but like you know, I'm pretty sure people are messaging everybody. Hey, did you hear about this thing? You know, it's a small place. Yeah. Well, I want to look at a couple of comments that were put into this post. One of them says the PCA said that the phone was in Moscow, but he wasn't. That's not what the PCA says. Uh, while that still raises questions, it's not the question you're suggesting. Besides, who cares the cell phone records? Re, who cares what the cell phone records back then said? They have the actual phone now. That's a treasure trove of information. I mean, they, they, they do have the phone, but I mean, you, you do want to corroborate all the information. And yeah, the phone wasn't in Moscow. The phone connected to a tower that services Moscow. Let's see. And then another comment on there. Yeah. I believe if anything happened near me, I'd change my, I would watch my surroundings more. Now, I understand that a lot of people did change their behavior, but you're, you're also focusing in like, well, if you're an investigator looking at this case and you're trying to figure out who really did it, you know, you're going to say, all right, who check marks this box? You know, it's going to be, all right, was, um, did he change his behaviors after the murders? Yeah. Does he have a uh, white Elantra in the area or white Elantra without a front license plate at the time of the incident? Check mark. Was he driving around that night? Yep. Was his um, cell phone activity putting him either there at the, at the house at the time of the murders or does it put him suspiciously turned off as an attempt to elude that investigation Check mark that box is his dna somewhere in the house it's on the sheath underneath the body of a victim check mark that box so it's not just the one aspect of it that's that's narrowly singly focusing in on one part of a problem and not looking at the bigger picture you know what i mean you know once you look at the bigger picture and you try to explain all those things that's kind of when it is um, kind of hard. Uh, let's see. It's, uh, let's see. I wanted to go to another one that I had seen earlier. So <laughs> um, I want to show this picture, but I, I'm not. It says, Chief Fry out and about delivering turkeys. I have to say he's looking pretty good in shape. No worries on his brow. And they have a picture of uh, Chief of Police, um, Chief Fry, and another Moscow Police Department uh, police officer holding a turkey. And in the comments section, somebody goes, what the hell? Or no, who the hell delivers turkeys the day before? It takes days to thaw out a turkey. What a bunch of yahoos. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next person goes, I hate cops. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what that reminds me of, Blue? Uh, have you seen the movie Anchorman? Yeah. Remember when Brick is like, I love lamp. And then they're like, do you really love the lamp? Or are you just saying you love things that you see? Yeah, I kind of felt the same way when this guy says, I hate cops. <laughs> it was kind of funny. What do you think? Do you think that it is a disgrace to be delivering turkeys the day before Thanksgiving, given that it takes time to thaw these things out? Maybe they are thought out, you know. Maybe they're not frozen. They're they don't appear to be turkeys. frozen. They're fresh turkeys. 
in fact, one of them is in a paper bag, and the bag is not wet. Yeah, maybe they're pre-cooked turkeys. Nah, they're definitely not cooked. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They, they sell they sell pre-cooked butterball turkeys. You just throw them in the oven and heat them up. Yeah. They sell those type. Yeah, so uh, let's see. Here's the next one. Somebody goes, there is still no proof Brian Koberger didn't do it. Basically saying there's no proof that Brian Koberger is innocent. Do, do you think that, what What do you think, Blue, is, is Brian Koberger's biggest defense that says he's innocent? Um, he hasn't said anything yet, so I don't know. The only thing he can say was, or, or let me put it this way. What is the, uh, that you've seen in the paperwork, court documents, you know, what is this defense put out there uh, that's, that says he's innocent, that he didn't do it? Nothing yet that I can, uh, when I'm going through it. Like, I, I know he doesn't have to. And, and I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like nothing in there puts him anywhere else. It says that he's driving around and he likes to drive around. At night, mm -hmm. that's the only thing that that says that I was driving around and I wasn't there. But that's only thing. Nothing like, oh, there's a receipt from him buying something at the gas station around that time. There's a camera footage of him parked, you know, somewhere, or him running a red light, or him turning left on a on a right. I mean, turning right on the red light, then got caught by a camera. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that he has to prove he's innocent, but I, I think that there, even if it's circumstantial, you know, something out there that says I couldn't have done it because, I will, you know, of this, you know, everything is, it, you know, all of his defense is right now like, oh, it, it, you know, that piece of evidence couldn't have been Koberger's because, you know, um, because somebody could have touched something or somebody could have done this, somebody could have done that, you know, but they don't ever say, Hey, you know, it couldn't have been Koberger because this is what he was doing is what he did. Um, you know, this is what he said. There's nothing out there. So I don't think the guy, the guy or gal is lying that there's still no proof. Brian Koberger didn't do it, but I still want to wait to, to court. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. That's what I was trying to say earlier too. But it, it, it is on the prosecution, but in a lot of cases, you know, you, you would hear um, most clients, you know, start saying, I'm innocent, I was over here, or at least, you know, put a plea of innocence. I think he just said he'd plead the fifth. Right. Yeah, so. And let's see, I like this comment right here. Uh, it's Paul. Can you pull up Paula's comment? Says Daniel, he has to prove he didn't do it. That can still come out. Now, he doesn't have to prove he didn't do it. Burden of proof is on uh, on the prosecution. But you know, I just feel that if it there was something there that actually said he didn't do it, that we would have heard about it from the defense team in one of these uh, multiple, 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 uh, you know, pieces of uh, court documents that they uh, are putting in through the court. You know, just like in the Richard Allen case where his defense team is pointing at somebody else and and doing this and saying that this is the person that actually did it or 
or whatever the case may be. Now, I don't think that, you know, Brian Koberger's defense team is going to try to figure out who committed this crime if it wasn't Koberger or any of those things. But if there was something that said that he was innocent, I feel pretty strong that they would come out there and sing about it because, you know, when we look at the three DNA um, samples that are in the area, they describe where one of them was at. It was inside of a glove and, you know, on the side of the house, outside of the house. So there's no shame in holding back details. So if you can say a detail like that, you know, why not add a detail that would have said something like, hey, you know, that shoe print was a size 12. Or, hey, you know, um, whatever. Right. We're not seeing any of that. Now, I know we got to wait till court and maybe they'll have that in court and they're just holding off and just, you know, letting Brian Koberger sit in jail. And that's while the real. And that's the thing. Why would he want to sit in jail if he's an innocent person? I mean, is he like sitting in there just so he can get a big payout? Because they convicted an innocent person or arrested an innocent person took almost a year of his life away. It's going to be longer than a year by the time trial comes. Why not, you know, come out with the truth and why not set a quick date? You know, a quick court date. Get it over with. I'm innocent. Here's my proof. Instead of giving the prosecution all this time to prove a lot more that it's him, you know, I don't know. That's why they keep putting in those supplementary uh, documents for more discovery that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? They keep doing that so they can say, Well, he would have had a speedy trial had we gotten all the evidence, even though the some of the evidence that they think is out there don't exist. You know what I mean? Like, like, for instance, the way it looks and sounds like to me is if 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 you were in trouble, Blue, and you go to a lawyer and. uh, How can I put this? I don't know. I, I, I forgot how I was going to put it. I was going to word it a certain way, uh, but it it it, it, uh, it just kind of surpassed me. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Defense says no connection to victims, no blood in the car or apartment. Yeah. That says he yeah. didn't do it. That does, but yeah, that would, to a normal, you know, person like you and I, you know, I, I would understand that, but to somebody who has the training that he has, I would say he knows better to get blood in his car or DNA. He knows better to have a connection to the victims. Right. So, wow. You know, this comment is interesting. There's no DNA in his apartment or in his car, right? What do we know about the crime scene? Um, We know that there's four victims. Their lives were taken in close contact with somebody because the uh, weapon that was used was a knife. And outside of the sheath that was left behind, does it sound like there's any DNA on the bodies of these victims 
Underneath the no. fingernails. No. Does it sound like there's hair or any of those things left on the bed or on the floor? No. And that's what gets me is like if he has one thing I would say if I was his defense team is he they say his bushy eyebrows is one of the things that he was identified by, right? Also. Yeah. How come there's none of that in the room? We didn't find any strands anywhere. Well, I mean, he, he may have been wearing a hairnet or something. I mean, his eyebrow hair. How how often does eyebrow hair fall out? I mean, it does quite a bit. If you scratch your eyebrow and then it falls, you see it. I mean, but, but here's the thing: he he has training to to know that that can fall. What if he? Dabbed some Vaseline throughout this, his eyebrows, so it would stick together and not fall off. You know, huh. and he had his face I didn't covered. Think about that. You know, there's a lot of stuff people can do to conceal their identity, so stuff won't fall off of them. I mean, so he's but, but, has more training than I would, you know, compared to these things. Right, right. Now I have a question for you. <clears throat> Where do you think you would more than likely find a DNA? DNA uh, on the body of a victim where there was a struggle or somebody lost their life and hand to hand with a, you know, with close contact, you know, with a knife, or do you think you would find, um, or it's more likely that you would find the victim's, you know, DNA in a car six weeks after seven weeks after the incident occurred where this person could have cleaned it out. Now, I do know that people say, hey, you know, the defense says there's no evidence of, of cleaning agent. But if he used bleach, I don't think bleach stays on, a, on an item for more than a couple of days, much less seven weeks. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you think, Blue? Yeah, I think, uh, like we said, I think he would have prepped his car, at least his side of the seat and stuff, so he wouldn't get it dirty. With the amount of training he has and bleach does dissipate i mean that's why we all learn we should wash our kids toys with a little cap full of bleach and let them air dry and then the kids can play with them the next day and they have them in their mouth and not get bleach poisoning for that reason is that it dissipates it's gone yeah yeah exactly i mean if it didn't if it didn't dissipate right and there was a murder scene on the, on the floor somewhere and somebody had mopped that area, you know, the day before or the day before that or a week before that, apparently seven weeks before that. And in between that time, I mean, how many times do you think a person will mop their floors within seven weeks? You know, if you're my wife, it's probably like 14 times to, to 21 times because she's a she's a little bit of a clean freak at, at times. Right. Yeah. But how many times are you going to mop the floor? And. You know, there are multiple occasions where there's a situation where somebody passes on the floor or a crime scene occurred on the floor and they use the, uh, the luminol and they, they bring in the, uh, the black light, which would, you know, make that bleach pop up. You know, in every situation there, you would never be able to see anything because it would all be out like a Christmas, Christmas lights on the floor everywhere. You'd never be able to tell what was what. So... Yeah, just because it wasn't there seven weeks later doesn't mean it wasn't there before. You know what I mean? Like I said, he, he had training to where 
I guarantee he probably changed before he even got in his car. You know, I'm pretty sure he did because <clears throat> I would if I was him. True crime web. What's going on, Steve? Welcome back. He's actually a real CSI and uh, retired CSI. He says there are ways to limit blood fiber DNA transfers. And when combined with proper cleaners and techniques, it will have an impact on evidence recovery. There it is. There it is. So just because it wasn't there, seven, eight, and who's to say that they processed that car the day they arrested him? You know what I mean? And that car had to get back to Idaho to yeah, get processed. Get impounded and then shipped wherever lab it was sent to to be, you know, tested. Right. Everything had to be taken apart, the whole the whole nine yards. So who's to say uh, that, that that vehicle got there that day? I think that the biggest misconception that we see sometimes in the true crime community is that some folks think that when there's evidence there, like the PCA puts out evidence, like, for instance, that Brian Koberger's name came up November 25th or 29th, because that's when the WSU officer found his vehicle. They don't realize that there's a lot of process that go into that. You know, that that report has to get written up, has to go through the chain of command, has to be sent over and, you know, has to be approved and then sent over. And then they also had tens of thousands of tips and and, and reports that they were investigating, plus also investigating the closest relatives, the ex-boyfriend, the, the, you know, the victims that were inside of the house that survived. You know, they're, they're doing all of that. You know what I mean? They, they don't have all the evidence at one time. It's not like, boom, we got a clue. Let's stop everything and point this clue out and work on this one thing. You know what I'm saying? So things take time. Things take, things take time. Yeah, I think he, you know, I think he prepped his car before he, he went. And I think he he had a suit. He had booties. He had gloves. He had a mask. And I'm for sure we know he had a mask because uh, what's your name? Dylan, Dylan said the person was wearing a mask when they walked by. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That would stop like saliva from spreading. That was, you know, he's wearing a mask. And the only thing you can visibly see was his eyebrows and his nose, maybe. And I don't know how far, you know, what kind of mask it was. It could have been a basic generic mask, or it could have been a ski mask, or it could have been, it doesn't say. I don't think it does say an M95 mask. I don't know. Yeah. Now, um, Larkin says, was there any blood trails, drips, or anything outside or from the victim's rooms? I don't know. All I know is that it appears that there's blood coming out of the back of Zana's room. But from the articles that I have read um, and the information that I have gathered, the crime scenes were pretty much contained to the victim's bedrooms. But I, I haven't seen anything personally, so I, I have no idea. Um Oh, I got, uh, I like this comment. It says, Trace DNA, phone pings that don't even prove he was at the crime scene. Complaints from folks who didn't like him. Who's complaining that, you know, from folks who didn't like him? Can't believe they can keep him locked up on so little. Big Blue, do you think that's all they got? I don't think so. I mean, I'm pretty sure they have the receipt for the knife he bought. Mm -hmm. And I know that they also have 
you know, the car and traveling at the high speed at night. The phone being off. Yeah, but I'm trying to think. The, the other main thing is, you know, the DNA under the night sheet. Hmm. Well, here, here's what they have against him. They have him on, on camera several times. Uh, they don't have him on camera in Moscow. But they have him on camera in Pullman, right? They have him leaving the Steptoe Apartments around Nevada Street, you know, around the time when he turns his phone off. So they can say, all right, we know that Brian Koberger was out and about. We have his location here and is cooperated by what we see on camera there, right? So right then and there, you have him out and about. And like I said, he has already admitted to that. But there he is. And they suspect that that was the same vehicle that they see in Moscow. But all right, you know, that's for, for debate. They have his DNA on an item that doesn't belong in the house. You know, it was believed that a K-bar knife was used, not just probably because a, a knife sheath was left there. You know, I think I think the other misconception is that we know all the evidence. We don't. And so, you know, I know that. You know, you can, you know, at autopsy, especially if you have a knife that if it's the same knife that was used, you know, in all four homicides, if that knife hit a bone or something, that it could have some metal shavings inside of the body or on the bone. And those things can be basically uh, checked and tested to determine where it was manufactured and forged and all those other good things, right? That's going to probably come out. That's probably also going to be an indicator that it was a K-bar knife, right? So you have the metal shavings that are possibly going to be there. I don't know. That's 100% speculation, but, you know, one that I would think was there, right? Then you have um, you have his DNA on it. Now, a lot of people keep saying, you know, it's trace DNA. You can get it from this, get it from that. I don't think it ever said that there was this kind or that kind of DNA. I believe it was just said it was single source DNA. But but even if it's touch DNA, Lou, what's the most common way somebody gets touch DNA on an item? Uh, by touching it. Exactly. By touching it. Now, is it possible that he could have gotten it from somewhere else or this or that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Everything, it's possible that he got it from somewhere else, right? But then when you put it all together, it really makes it hard to believe that it's not him. Like, like what's that story going to be? Brian Koberger shook the, the hands of the real killer earlier that day for whatever reason. Now, the real killer was like, hey, you know, I don't like Brian Koberger, even though I shook his hand or whatever reason. I'm going to go and get a white Elantra. I'm going to steal it because I can't use my own, right? I'm going to go steal this white Elantra that, you know, that theft hasn't been reported. Or I'm going to go rent a white Elantra from somewhere that, you know, police didn't think of. You know, maybe out of, I don't know, Colorado or something. And he drew, drove back. And he's going to go commit this crime. Leave the sheath there on purpose with, with Brian Koberger's DNA on it. And he's going to know. That Brian Koberger is going to be driving around that night and have his phone off because when he shook his hand, obviously Brian Koberger told him what his plans was, right? He's like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm shaking your hand. And as we're shaking hands, he's like, you know, tonight I'm going to go on this long drive. I usually turn my phone off. I'll be off between 247 and, 
It won't be on till 448. So, yeah, just FYI, if you can't get a hold of me, it's because my phone is off during this time. Right. And, and it just so happens that Brian Koberger purchased the K-Bar knife back in April, but nobody can find it. I don't know, maybe, maybe it was Brian Koberger's knife. And this person that maybe somebody broke into Brian's house. Now, we didn't think about this one, right, Blue? Somebody breaking into Brian's house, stealing his K-Bar knife, yeah, which he chose. The shower curtains. He took the shower curtain, too. Uh, I don't know. Shower curtains are one thing, but somebody <laughs> broke into somebody broke into Brian Koberg's house. They were like, "Hey, you know, we need to frame somebody because we want to take out these four four people. Let's uh, let's go try to figure out someone. Who can we who can we frame? So they frame Brian Koberg. So they break into his house, find the knife sheath and the knife, use his his knife and knife sheath to go commit the crime. They found his planner, and on his planner. It said that he was going to go driving late at night that night with, with his phone off. So they had the perfect window to do this in. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Big Blue, are, are you buying any of that? Those sound like bigger stories than, you know, the evidence they have against them. Yeah. And yeah. If, if somebody ever broken i mean especially with his field if you know you got broken into and that they steal anything like a knife or a gun you want to report it to the police per se it is used in a crime because they're not coming looking for you and that's what it, they're, you're told when you buy a handgun you know, or a rifle if this thing ever gets stolen make sure your report is stolen you don't want All right, to Paula. Back to you. All right, right, right. Paula. Paula says, Daniel, no one is thinking the way you're describing right now. We are not stupid. I'm not saying anybody's stupid, but I haven't come up with a with a story answering all of the questions. How did they know, you know, Brian Koberg was going to be driving around that night by himself with his phone off during that specific time? How did they get Brian Koberger's DNA on a knife sheath that was collected by Idaho State forensic team the following day? That was in evidence that couldn't be taken out by by somebody later without being on camera, videotape, chain of evidence, the whole nine yards. This isn't like 1990 where somebody can just sign in, you know, that you see on TV and, and they can walk to the back of the evidence room in the corner where nobody's looking and do something. That's not realistic. You know, it, give me a story that explains his phone being off, the car scene on um on on camera his dna being on the on the knife sheath and him buying a k-bar knife that can't be found explain me a story that doesn't sound that crazy and and, and i'll put it out there and we'll actually debate it because i'm looking for it i've put it out there multiple times i've put it out there multiple times i've asked can somebody please explain to me a story this way because the only one that i can come up with has to be out of this world unbelievable. You know, that's why I say, yeah, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. But once you add it all up and you have check marks or boxes to check off and he's checking off one after another, after another, after another. It comes to a point where 
that story to overcome those check marks is just wild. Which is probably why they're going back to 1880. They're looking for Brian Koberger's other family members who possibly were in the area of the King Road residence the night of November 13th. That is exactly what it states in the defense's paperwork that the Moscow Police Department did not locate or try to find other relatives of Brian Koberger that were by that house at that time during the time of the murders. Now we know that it was his dad's DNA that they legally took out of the trash can to match it back to the DNA on the sheath. So we know that Koberger's dad is the father of whoever left the DNA behind. And the defense team is saying that there's other family members that are out there. Well, we know that based on, well, on the family tree or all the history that we can find that Brian Koberger doesn't have a brother. So it must be a secret brother. Maybe his, his father had an affair with somebody. Found Koberger through 23andMe. I don't know. I mean, what is it? Why the story is so crazy? It's crazy. Big Blue, can you come up with one that makes sense? Not without going far fetched. Not, I mean, like the, the frame, like all the frame, you know, everybody's saying that the frame and blaming other people. It, the evidence showed it was somebody else. I'm pretty sure the police would go and investigate the other person because I've, been, I've heard how much they had to pay out in some of these cases when it's wrong, wrongfully convictions. I don't think the police department wants to do that. And then plus, there was the FBI that was helping them do this investigation. I don't think they want to be embarrassed. So I think they have the right person. You know, it's, it's a lot of, you know, if somebody says it might be one corrupt cop, there might be one corrupt cop, but for them to be that corrupt where you corrupt the FBI and then it backfires on you if it's ever found out to be something else. Well, let's break that I mean, down, Blue. Let's imagine break that, that down. Lawsuit. Imagine that lawsuit. No, 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 let's break that down. Who would have to be corrupt to affect this case? It let's break it down. Be, it would have to be somebody high because it has to pass. It was going through both chapters of the FBI and the police department. Even though the FBI left the, the police department to build the case, it would have to be the chief is the, the one, only one that would... Right. I guess okay the paperwork for the arrest wants to be written, right? right. Or the commander and then a judge. Well, well, hold on. You're going you're going too far. You're going too far, boo. Paula says it doesn't have to be a cop. What I'm saying is, all right, what part of this investigation is corrupted? Is it the part where um you know where could it be affected? Because we have DNA on a knife sheath. When do you think that that sheath was collected? It's been the day of the the 911 call the day of the incident. Right. So at one point, are is there the opportunity to put BK's DNA on there? Because once it's collected by forensics and there is a and it's sealed in a box, right? And this is how they do it. They put it, they'll they'll put the uh, knife sheath in a box, they'll secure it, they close this box, and then they seal it with tape all the way around it. 
then there are signatures and lines that go all around that, right? To ensure that if there's a break of seal or anything like that, that, um, you know, there's not a, a chain of custody or some sort of corruption as is being implied, right? Then it's taken directly to the Idaho State Lab. So, it's, you know, there's limited contact there. How many people saw it? We're looking at maybe perhaps, perhaps, you know, maybe one of the officers or two of the officers that showed up on scene, yeah. right? But they would only have limited access to the knife sheaths. Their access would be until it was collected or until other officers or detectives showed up because if somebody yeah. else sees them, you know, doing some kind of shady stuff, they're not going to put their job or freedom on the line for this crooked cop, right? Well, anyway, so you can get there. Their, their access is limited. So when did BK become the, the target of a frame job for those guys? And because they would have had to have collected the DNA from Brian Koberger to put it on the knife sheath. So they would have had to have known like at, at 12 o'clock when the 911 came in, they would have had to have been transferring, you know, Brian Koberger's DNA to that house to corrupt it. Yeah. Like, like, what does that make sense? Because that's that's gone. Now, um, let's see. What about the only way that makes sense is if BK became the target of a frame before the murders happened, which means that the murders happened to frame Brian Koberger. Why? Why would why would they do that? Why would anybody do that? Why would the cops do that? Yeah, and it would have to be somebody good to not leave their DNA behind. No, 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 it's not that. What I'm saying is, in order for this to be a frame job, where the officers who responded to the crime were the ones who corrupted this, there would have to have been prior knowledge that this incident was going to occur to be taking Brian Koberger's DNA with him. It's not like, hey, we're going to carry Brian Koberger's DNA with us until there's this horrific crime, you know, that happens and we're going to sprinkle his DNA over the, over something. That's not mm -hmm. logical. That doesn't make any sense. All right. So the, so that person's out. All right. So when the investigating uh, detective arrives on scene, there's already, it's already four o'clock. There's officers all the way around. There are forensic officers um, ready to collect the sheath. You know, how does he corrupt or manipulate the, the knife sheath with the DNA? And again, it would have to go back to, you know, his limited access to the knife and limited access to the knife alone. So then if it's not, you know, he's there at four people are around him. I don't think he has access to do anything to it. So then are we thinking that maybe it was somebody in the Idaho state lab? So, so who in the Idaho state lab even knows who Brian Koberger is? He's not from Idaho, much less wherever the Idaho state lab is. It's not in Moscow. Yeah. Right. Like, the, the, and then you have, FBI, 60 agents in the FBI there, like, they're checking over everything. And I'll tell you what, they get real wet when they find out that there's an officer that's doing something illegal or wrong. Same thing with the uh, state police. State police don't like city cops. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's, 
it's kind of it's not so much that they don't like them and oh they hate them or any of those things it's just uh, well maybe some of them they do but yeah you know when i was in law enforcement so i'm called called uh local cops uh what they call them like city kitties is what the troopers would call um local police departments and then you know they had names for the sheriff department and and it, and it goes around back and forth back and forth the police department had the same thing for both of those so it, it, you know and and i knew several several state police officers who would love to arrest cops that's all they did you know um one of them he, i met them at a convention in dallas back in 2010 i think it was a clique convention and you know, they were kind of telling me some of the stuff that they were doing. And I was like, man, well, all right, <laughs> y'all crazy. But, you know, they were purposely going for 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 officers. And that was something that. I don't know, I guess they felt that it improved their career somehow. So I don't think that an FBI agent is going to see a crooked cop and say, hey, I find this crooked cop. I'm just going to, I don't know, uh, let it slide. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a far-fetched story. Was there any more internet comments? I think we're. Yeah, we're gonna do a couple more. Let's see. Um, uh, and then there's something going on. So somebody goes, "I told y'all it was Matt Boggs, and y'all didn't listen. I was right. Wait till Monday. You know how many times we've seen something that said like, wait till Tuesday, wait till Wednesday.'" I looked up who Matt Boggs is. I think he's a content creator on like advice on relationships. <laughs> it is what it is. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Why are so many so? I'm not. I'm not gonna, you know, call anybody this. But why are so many people consist? continue to insist on behaving or believing that this knife sheath couldn't possibly have been left by accident because, you know, to have been secured, fixed to the perps belt loops, YouTuber content creators get a clue being the latest to jump on this bandwagon. Don't they realize how silly the defense would look at them trying to make that point to a jury? Like what the heck? dictates that the knife sheath can only be used when attached to the belt loop. Clearly, as some have zero conception of how comfortable it would be, having been driving around for hours with a seven and a half inch plus bladed K-bar sheath through your lo- your your belt loop. What do you think, Blue? Sorry, it was freaking tough to read from this distance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What do you think, Blue, about the uh, knife sheath? Apparently, there are some folks that say that it was planted there because why else take the knife sheath in with you? There's no point in taking the knife sheath in with you if you're not going to have it put on your belt loop. What What are your thoughts? Well, if you wore the jumpsuit that I think you wore, then it wouldn't have a belt or belt loops on it. He, you know, he would have more like a pocket. So I don't know about you, but I don't like carrying, you know, a seven-inch blade unopened in my pocket. You know mm-hmm. how you, you can actually stab yourself. So, um, and I actually have a nice. Uh, it's it's a 
deer hunting knife. I need a cave art knife, but and it's a good six, eight inch knife. And uh, that baby's sharp. I mean, I cut myself a few times, you know, trying to skin fish and stuff because it gets so slippery. So I don't think you want to carry it without the sheep. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm gonna read this comment that I'm I'm kind of on the same page with you. This comment to that post says, Well, I have a knife sheath. Well, it says no, I have a knife and a sheath. It's so I can wear it when I want to wear it. But I'm hundred percent certain that if I decided to unalive four people in a house, I'd pull the puppy out and leave the sheath elsewhere because I one hundred percent know I'm not going to stick it back in the sheath covered in the red stuff. The sheath doesn't fit. Not for a planned event. If some college boy likes to wear one daily, and that's a different story. But then it'd be attached to his belt. All right. So let's talk about this. One, this person's talking about an anecdotal, you know, incident, you know, what they would do. That doesn't mean that's what everybody would do. But if you were going to basically the essence of his theory or her theory is that if they were going to go take the life of somebody, they're not going to take the knife sheath with them. They're going to leave that behind and, and take the knife exposed with them, you know, on this hours long trip. Blue, why do you, why do you think he took the knife sheath with him if he did? Oh, you just disappeared uh, on me. Sorry, I tried to mute and I hit the wrong one. <laughs> um, I think, like, I personally don't like to carry them without the sheath, if, I ha if it has a sheath on it. You know, it's not a folding knife that folds away and you won't cut yourself. And if you're going into a, a somewhere like that, I mean, I would say the smart thing would have been probably left it in the car, right? But he, what if he broke in or was trying to get in, and he can say, "I'm here. To, I'm here with somebody else." Uh, he tried to say, "I'm here with the girl downstairs," and I have a huge knife in my hand. That would be more, you know, alarming. I would say. Uh, I mean, a sheath and a knife in a sheath in his hand is is not less alarming. <laughs> I know, but he probably had the knife in his pocket. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, or you can carry it in your hands, but that's something is maybe it was in his pocket, right? After he un took it out, maybe he didn't realize he dropped it till he was walking out because there would have been a struggle, there would have been movement. And that's why he didn't realize it was out of his pocket. So maybe when he went out, so here, here's my thing. So the first thing that this guy says is you, you wouldn't want to put the knife back in the sheath covered in blood. And thank you, uh, micro. We appreciate you becoming a member. Now that's this person wouldn't put a knife back in the sheath covered in blood. This person is assuming that Brian Koberger cares for the knife as much as this person cares for his or her knife. That's the first, first thing. Second is, we also want to know, like, what's the um, who is Brian Cooper, right? The uh, the suspect. Who is he? Uh, he was smart. He, you know, based on all the evidence that we had, this was very methodically planned out, you know, completely planned. Uh, 
and well done. If I mean, if he doesn't leave this knife sheath behind, he's not getting found at that time. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to completely say he's never getting found, but he's not getting found at that time. And I mean, you mentioned it, that if you just have it exposed there, there's an opportunity or a possibility that you're going to cut yourself or cut a piece of fabric from your clothing or any of those things that potentially could lead back to you. Like, for instance, if he had also like dicky coveralls that don't have, you know, a belt loop for him to put the knife into the or the knife sheath on. He doesn't want to just carry an exposed knife. Because, like, let's say he does cut his, you know, his pants on a small piece of his pants. Well, the exterior of those pants or those coveralls may not have his DNA, uh, but the interior might. You know what I'm saying? So you have to think about those things. Like, and as far as why he didn't take it with him when he was out, I mean, BTK left a gun at a scene one time. He went back and got it. The only difference is Koberger couldn't go back and get his mistake. Because by the time he ended up back out there, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, there's other people that live in that area. Not everybody that lives there is a college drunk you know, party goer, you know, some people do, you know, some people are older, some people are adults. I'm not saying that they're not adults, but are, you know, older adults. And, you know, they go on walks on Sunday mornings. They, they uh, walk the dog. They, they do a lot of things. And so at nine o'clock, it's kind of dangerous to walk back in. Yeah. Let's see. We do a couple of more of these and then we're going to, Call it a show. Yeah. Yeah. That'll work tonight. So, yeah. A few more. Yeah, for sure. Also, I saw this one thing. All right. This is the one we're going to talk about. It says, was Bethany Funk's room on the third floor? Since Kaylee moved out, is that how the exculpatory evidence she couldn't see nothing from the first floor? Well, here's the thing. If she stayed on the first floor... That that window is facing the uh, uh, that's in the front of the house facing towards Queen Road. Um, if Brian Koberger or suspected Brian Koberger exited the back of the house through the sliding glass door, that's not visible from the front window. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's the first thing. So, you know, just because they couldn't see anything wouldn't necessarily also mean that it's, it's exculpatory. What exculpatory means is that it is uh, that it proves that the person didn't do it, you know, like an alibi or, you know, um, a camera, you know, surveillance footage with him somewhere else at the time of the murders or somewhere so far away that he couldn't possibly been at the murder scene at the time that the murders happened. That's exculpatory. You know, just because somebody didn't see something, doesn't mean it's exculpatory. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and as far as Kaylee being uh, you know moved out, that's not true. She had not been moved out yet. She still had tests that needed to be done. She still had to go back to to Moscow. She was not done at the University of Idaho. There was still things that needed to be completed. She had not moved out yet. Yeah, because most of the time, if it's your last. Uh, during the 
school semester school doesn't end till about the second week of December for most colleges. Mm. Yeah. That's when Brian left because that's when school was over and he was on Christmas break. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, come on. There's a lot of like crazy stuff on here too. That's like nonsense, which we're not going to talk about. Yeah, we'll just keep going down the wrong, like a rabbit hole. And, and like, for instance, somebody anonymously put, they, they didn't even have like the courage to put who they are, right? And they went through somebody's, it looks like Instagram, maybe, um, nah, it looks like somebody's TikTok. And apparently, uh, Bethany, by the looks of it, got engaged. Right. And and these people are saying that like she shouldn't have a life outside of what happened to her. Like it's just bull crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? These are human beings are gonna move on. They're still gonna have grief and they're still gonna have uh resentment, but they can't just lock themselves in the room for the rest of their lives. They're gonna have a life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, one one part of like getting better is is moving on. I know that you know, court hasn't happened or things like that, but you know, for their own mental health and and sanity. Yeah, I mean, you know, if Blue, if you were the father of one of these two surviving victims, what what would what would be your advice to your kid? I mean, if, if it was one of my daughters, you know, we would remember our friends and you know right but would you like would you keep them there in moscow would you move them what would you do if uh if i lived there then and they had nowhere to you know move to where they would probably have more of a better mental um you know a safer mental place and i'll probably stay there or forcibly move i mean it depends on how bad they are but if they're really having a tough time i would try to find help for them you know try to give them encouragement to move on right of course but like if it was me you know and we have to remember we also have to do you know we have to know who we're talking about we're talking about two young ladies who don't sound like um their family doesn't have any money i mean the fact that they're in a fraternity and they have to pay upwards to like three or four thousand dollars a semester just to be in it you know comes with some sort of uh, financial status usually not saying that all of them you know and not everybody that's been in a fraternity comes from money or any of those things i don't know but i do think that dylan's stepmom is like an attorney or something like that and bethany's family i think they're okay so if i came from you know not saying if i came for money but if i had the means to take my daughter out of a place where not only is it going to be uh re-trauma you know more trauma more trauma to her by having to be in that area relive everything but also have you know all this online stuff and everything else i'd want her to get out of there i'd put her somewhere where you know not many people talk or know about this case surprisingly you know, there's a lot of people that don't know about it here in San Antonio. I, I'll, I'll talk to people and, you know, they'll find out that I do a podcast 
and, and a YouTube show. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you know, you remember the uh, Idaho University murders that occurred last last year? You know, four four university students were stabbed to death in the middle of the night. They're like, man, I, I haven't heard that. Like, I've, I, the, it's very few people that I have come across here uh, that have heard it. So, yeah. you know, I would I would move her somewhere like that. I'd move her to like, you know, Oklahoma State, something, you know, maybe Texas, Texas Tech. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. No. You know no, what I mean? I, I mean, for sure, you want to move somewhere where there's, you know, no, not obsession over the case. Cause that just brings back the memories. I mean, you... Of course, they're going to have the memories for the rest of their life. Oh, hey. Welcome, neighbor. How you doing? <laughs> nice, nice. Nice. Good luck, good luck. They have some good good programs at a lot of the local colleges here. Some are more pricey than others, but there are some, some decent ones that are not too bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's another anonymous, obviously, post saying the matching tattoos, Dylan and Claire, not Bethany. Uh, like just the question marks that that people come up with. You know, to attack somebody else is just. Uh, I don't like it. There's a lot in there, a lot worse. Cause I've seen some some worse ones in there. I just don't bring them up because, you know, it's. Two people trying to cope with what happened, and you don't want to make their lives a lot more uh, complicated than it has to be, but people will. And that's just life. Yes, sir. And this is going to be the last one we're going to talk about. It says, I can't wait to hear how this IGG was built to get Brian Koberger. And I just want to say that the first comment says, you never went to forensic school, so you don't know. What What are your thoughts, Blue? <laughs> In your comments, like, do you do you think that we'll hear how the IgG was built? What was it again? I said, do you think that we'll ever hear how the IgG was built? Built? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, there's no way we're gonna know because it, it's 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 built by Brian Koberger's family. You know, I, I had a conversation with. Gabriela Vargas, the defense's witness on Lena's channel, Truth and Transparency. Yeah. And what she had told me was that when the IgG, like what they get is like a, a list of names. And those names are like uh, of people who are connected to this uh, DNA sample that they submitted. It's not, there's not an actual piece of physical DNA there. It's just a list of names. So I, I see all these people saying, oh, man, when they find out that the chain of evidence was broken or or that the the IgG was corrupt because something happened to it on its way to to the uh, uh, FBI lab or Othram. I, I kind of chuckled at that because what according to what Gab Gabriella said is you know, they get like an email of names. So I'm not sure I'm not sure where that gets corrupted on its way or whatnot. But um, the IgG was is just a bunch of names. And it'll say, like, for instance, um, Jeff is related. Let's say blue does it. 
and but they don't know who Blue's name is, so they call him John Doe. So they put his name into this or his DNA into his DNA profile into the system. And then that is going to pull out a bunch of names. And on those names is going to say like, all right, you know, this John Doe has a cousin named Jeff. They have about 2%, you know, DNA. And they find out that they're like six cousins. That means that they're great times six grandma. They share the same one. So you have to build that tree all the way back. Now, if you end up getting a first cousin, which means that uh, John Doe and this first cousin have the same grandparents. Well, that's pretty easy to figure out. Right. So you just go up to the grandparents name and then you figure out how many kids that that grandparent have. All right. And then you look at all of those kids and one of those kids not related or not a sibling to the uh, uh, the one kid who is the first cousin match is a possibility and you go and steal their trash test it and if one of them pops as a uh, as a match you got your person All right what do you think Blue? yeah i mean that's the way those work they build a tree from people who have seen dna and sometimes you know we voluntarily give our dna to a lot of places that's true remember i always remember when i was a kid uh, i can't remember what we were doing at one of the parks in del rio and the the police department was there and they were having like a little i guess it was like a celebration day they were giving out pizza drinks and they were doing some other stuff but they were also asking Oh, do you want your fingerprints to be on record or something? They were fingerprinting people there in the park. I don't know what what, what it's called, what they're doing, but well, that's uh, in case that's in case like you get stolen or something, you get yeah. kidnapped. They have your fingerprints in the database, so that way, if you uh, are spotted or something, uh, you come up somewhere, they can identify you. Yeah, but I always remember my mom's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea." And we, I remember getting fingerprinted, <laughs> and I was small, I was probably like ten or something. I'm sure your fingerprints have changed. They've probably grown. <laughs> yeah, I've already passed the FBI fingerprint three times. Okay, three times. There you go. Yeah, me too, man. I just did it not too long ago for uh, one of my state licenses. I need. Yeah, I got every time I get to renew my license, I got to go. Get fingerprinted like a criminal. Put yeah. your finger here, roll it over. Put your finger here, roll it over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and micro as far as paneling, we, we can do something like that. Maybe uh, next week we'll have where we can have some of you guys join join the group, join the panel, and we can have a conversation. Love to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Just today we're running out of time because fortunately I have to work tonight. I'm. I'm a bum and I have to still work. So if you uh, want to see Blue tonight, just head on over to the Palace <laughs> Gentlemen's Club and you'll see Blue. He'll be uh, at Register 1 wearing a very cute top. Uh, Big Blue, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, my man. I hope everybody here in the chat had a great Thanksgiving and a great time tonight. Uh, I I hope that the uh, the conversation was good. I hope the podcast was good. Big Blue, uh, any last words and, and send us out, my man. Yeah, yeah, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for being on here. I hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Just remember, um, 
if you drink, don't drive, Uber. Hey, sometimes I even see that some cities have, you know, you can call the non-emergent number and they sometimes give free rides through the non-emergent police number. So there's always something out there. But if you do have to drive, you know, take it easy, sober up for a while, and make sure you can think straight before you go. I I was young once, and I know those crazy trips home. (laughs) Things are different, too, now. The speed limit wasn't like 80 miles an hour back in the day when we were kids, you know? (laughs) So, uh, and and I never, I'm going to say, I was not a part of what Blue was doing back then. I don't know. I cannot confirm nor deny any of Blue's past activity as a underage person. Uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't see anything. But what I will say <laughs> is that, you know, uh, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Uh, remember, you know, family, you guys are with family. There's no need to get in fights. I think that Thanksgiving and and Christmas were the two number one days for, for family fights uh, <laughs> for those to happen. So it's not worth it. Share the turkey, share the stuffing. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know why people. It's the alcohol, and then even if it's not alcohol, there's just there's just some cranky people out there. One hundred percent. All right, y'all. We'll see you guys on probably Monday. Peace out. Yep. Later. All right, guys. Y'all take care.